Welcome, paranormalists, fringe dwellers, and my fellow travelers on the road to and from the unknown. This is Paranormal Tales from the Tower, recorded at Paranormal Tower in Asbury Park, New Jersey's historic downtown district. Join us for stories of the strange, the unusual, and of course, the paranormal. My name is Kathy Kelly. Welcome to Paranormal Tower. Sit down, relax. I have something to tell you. There are certain places in the world that before you visit, you think you know already. You believe that you're prepared, mainly because they've always been a part of your consciousness through media and stories. They've been there for a long time. For people like me, and I would wager a bet, people like you, the Paris Catacombs is one of those places. You know what to expect. Perhaps you've built it up in your head to be something different than it is, but it would be unusual for it to surprise you. You've seen the movies, watched the docs, read the posts. You've probably even researched it, but you're not prepared for it. That's not to say that it'll frighten you or overwhelm you, but it's not what you think it is. It is far less macabre and far more manageable. It's far larger and more imposing. It's strange, but maybe not in the way that you think. The Paris catacombs and their use form one of those fortuitous moments in history where a need was met with an opportunity. Paris, you see, is an old city, truly old. It gets its name from a Celtic tribe known as the Parisi that lived there in the 3rd century BCE. When Rome came, because of course Rome came, they occupied the left bank of the city and they built bathing houses, temples, meeting places. The area then became known as Parisis and ultimately Paris. In the 3rd century CE, Paris Christianized. The catacombs themselves are not all filled with bones. In fact, only a small portion make up the ossuary. The rest is a 400-mile maze of hollowed-out caverns and tunnels that began in the 5th, 6th, and 7th centuries and began in earnest in the 13th century. The limestone of the left bank was always attractive. It's the foundation for so many roads and so many buildings. And of course, Rome must have its roads. At first, open-air quarries were used to pull that sweet, sweet stone out of the earth. This quickly became untenable because open-air quarries use up all of the land, and eventually the stone was just too deep to access from above. Mines, then, became the answer. And so it began. But of course, while this was happening, the city also grew, and so did the nation, and so did the world. And over the course of 500, 600, 700 years, things tend to get lost. They get forgotten. Through wars and all of that complex French history, by the 18th century, people pretty much just forgot that the mines had ever existed. But they had existed, and they still exist. The hollow earth beneath the ever-growing metropolis was there. By the 18th century, the people of Paris were dealing with the revolting stench of rotting cemeteries. Seriously, it stank. The cemeteries in Paris were literally bulging at retaining walls. Millions of people had been buried there, but no new cemeteries had been built. 
Essentially, bodies would be buried and a small amount of earth would be thrown on top of them. And so the boneyards got higher and higher until they were 10 or 12 feet above the roads that led to them. More than that, though, they were no longer on the outskirts of town. The city had expanded. It's Paris, after all, and everybody loves Paris. Oui, oui, bonjour. So you had these massively overcrowded burial grounds, bodies literally covered in inches of earth, rotting and attracting rats and other vermin, and holy hell, the stench, the smell... The largest market in Paris, where all manner of commerce was transacted, including daily food purchases, was right next to St. Innocence, the largest and most overcrowded of the cemeteries. Historian Mary Wakeman paints a colorful, if alarming, picture. Quote, Buying and selling spilled into the adjoining cemetery of the Innocents, where the illicit trade and general debauchery formed a dance macabre among the tombs and decaying detritus that boiled up from the fetid soil and communal graves. The vast necropolis of St. Innocence welcomed the dead from every parish in the city. Human decomposition mixed with the blood and guts of the market with piles of rubbish to form a putrid stench, a dangerous effluence that made Les Halles an axis of infection and disease. In other words, not only did you have the market and not only did you have the cemetery, but you had all manner of strange underworld activity happening in those two places. So, in other words, you had criminals in the cemetery, probably prostitutes, probably drugs, probably nefarious deeds happening, and all of this revolting mix of body fluids and decomposition. The government knew that there was a problem, but it had no ready solution, and so the government didn't care much about the problem because, well, it's the government. The cemeteries in Paris proper were condemned in the late 18th century, and suburban cemeteries were created, but merely outlawing future burials was not enough. What would be enough? It is said that the final straw was in 1780 when a local restaurateur who lived near the cemetery went into his basement to pick out a couple of bottles of wine and he was overwhelmed by a smell of quote putrescence and it overwhelmed him Art historian Pamela Lee relates that, quote, he was to discover its horrifying source shortly. The walls of a mass grave adjacent to his house had burst open, sending forth a heap of neighboring corpses into his basement, end quote. And that was the final straw. But then something fortuitous happened. A street collapsed, revealing or reminding the powers that be that beneath Paris was an almost endless series of tunnels, and the idea of an ossuary was formed. This 100-foot disaster, because remember, lives had been lost when the street collapsed, and it's always terrifying when the earth gives way to reveal emptiness supporting your home, it was kind of a godsend. Paris had two major problems in one day, and they seemed to solve each other. The vast expanse of unsupported city, which the street collapse revealed, remember, growing metropolis, big buildings, fancy museums, etc., was kind of a big engineering deal. And the bodies exploding into people's basements and the local market, because there were millions of them buried in one place, was kind of a big sanitation deal. 
What if, inquiring minds wondered, well, what if those bodies could be used to fill those empty caverns and provide support for the city above? That's easily two birds off of one stone. And maybe a whole flock, because there were a lot of freaky people interested in what was going on. The bones of the long dead had already been removed from their graves and used to create the walls of Les Enesson Cemetery. This was a perfect solution. And thus began a project that would take years to finish and become an iconic Parisian destination. Each night, as the people of the City of Lights lay in their beds or shacks or barns or whatever, the clergy and the gravediggers did their duty. They would dig up the graves in the cemeteries throughout the city, pile the bodies in, in a carriage drawn by horses draped in funeral crepe, and deliver them to their new home, the tunnels beneath the city. The clergy would walk before the carriage, intoning prayers and attempting to make the project as ceremonious and yet quiet as possible. The low prayers and quietly rung bells, along with incense, filled the night for years as burial ground after burial ground was emptied of its millions of bones. There was no way of keeping track of burials, and so it was decided to just generally note when and where the bones came from. This was not a shock, nor was it terribly off-putting, as most people had lost track of burials in the last 50 or 60 years. And so you might be aware that Grand Père was buried in Irancis Cemetery during the French Revolution, as victims of the guillotine were interred there, but you likely did not know where his gravesite was. Once he was placed in the mines, you would merely know generally where he was. It took years, and it was not until 1810 when Louis-Étienne Heracard de Terry was named director of the Paris Mine Inspection Department that the bones were placed in some order. He created rooms, had the bones cleaned and stacked, and he placed tablets detailing to the degree that they knew where the remains had originally been buried. So, you might be able to visit Grandpère after all, generally speaking. It was immediately understood that what had been created was intriguing to the public, and areas of it were made available for visitation. But as mentioned, the ossuary only occupies a very small area of the catacombs themselves, and so it was not always possible to control who went in or what they did. Like young people today, there was always the thrill of the macabre, and there is solid evidence that young men of name and leisure would arrange for evenings with young women of maybe name? definitely leisure, to dine and listen to music in the chambers of the earth surrounded by the dead. This was no doubt the equivalent of a horror flick at the drive-in, albeit far, far cooler. I myself did not sneak into the catacombs and investigate them. Instead, I went online and I purchased a ticket and experienced them the way they were intended, ultimately, as a tourist. And I was far from alone. The website warns you to be on time or you will miss the window of your time, and they are not kidding. The line was at least a city block in length when we arrived. It's not an obvious place. There's a small, discreet entry building near a much larger, more imposing structure. It's a deep green, almost black, and the doors open to allow the queue to form. It quickly does form, and it ultimately wraps around the block. And as you enter, there are several warnings. Don't take flash photography. Do not wear your backpack on your back. Do not bring food and drink. Do not touch or take the skulls. Some of these seem more common sense than others, but you can imagine the actions that prompted the warnings. You move through the different structures, lowering yourself into the earth. 
The change in grade is almost imperceptible, and you're moved through exhibits showing how the catacombs came to be. If you're like me, you're running, because you either already know or you don't really care, and you just want to get to the freaky bones immediately, as if there's something waiting for you. Because, of course, there is something waiting for you. The mother-loving Paris catacombs are waiting for you. And you step into them, and they are right there, right there. You see a wall of femurs, seven feet high and 35 feet deep, and suddenly it dawns on you that you're in it. You're in it. You are surrounded by the last earthly remains of six million people. People whose names have not been spoken in centuries. And yet right there in front of you, with no wall or fence or any other means of protection, his or her skull grins toothlessly at you. And make no mistake, they are toothless. These bones have not only been placed here for your gawking pleasure, but have been buried, rotted, exhumed, exposed, transported, summarily dropped in a hole, moved again, polished, and finally placed here. The fact that their placement here solved a rather pressing problem, two problems in fact, does not explain why they have been presented or displayed here for your viewing pleasure. And yet... But you're not lost alone wandering through the Paris catacombs at night, solving some ancient riddle. But you are standing in the middle of the remains of six million people. People who walked before Christ. People who would never understand a word of the language being spoken above them today. People who died of the plague. People who got lost. People who got murdered. People whose people have long since died. And it's the 21st century, and we are weird, but we did not invent weird. No, we come from a long line of weird. And the Paris catacombs are far from being unique, although their size doesn't make them stand out. There are plenty of ossuaries in the world, plenty of places where bored priests came up with clever and creative ways of dealing with an overabundance of dead in their boneyards. No. What makes Paris special is the tunnels themselves. Leave the dead behind and you still have miles and miles of excavated rooms and tunnels beneath one of the largest cities on earth. Until the 1980s, there were hundreds of ways to get into the Paris underground. Holes in the wall, wine cellar doors, sewer pipes, even just sheer drops from old streets. Parisians are proud of their strangeness and they love the perversity, but they're also curious about the extent of the tunnels. A movement in the 1980s led to a generation of people who wanted to dedicate their free time to navigating and mapping the tunnels. What exactly might be down there? Paris itself was excited until it was discovered that the tunnels were simply too unsafe to explore and the movement was quickly shut down by the police. Or so the police claim. The truth is that it just forced the cataphiles, wait for it, underground. And that's where they are now. They still know the secret access spots and they still search the tunnels. Rumors that secret societies and strange dark customs are met and perpetrated there are no doubt entirely true. People are weird and they seek out the weird in which to do their weird deeds. I can think of no better place in the Paris catacombs to hold a black mass or a hidden film festival or as in the case of a 
2015, a huge Airbnb sleepover. But seriously, people go in every day. And I don't mean the way that I did. I mean they find the squirrel holes and they submerge themselves in the darkness, trusting that what leads them down will somehow lead them on. Urban legends abound about the tunnel dwellers, creatures who may have started out as human but who have lived in the darkness for so long that they no longer resemble that species. Cataphiles come out with strange tales of sounds, of rooms that appear and disappear, of strange markings. These are not only stories of other weird people who seek out the maze beneath the city, but of truly, truly strange phenomena. The most famous, no doubt, concerns that of the found footage. In 2003, a documentary was aired, during Halloween it should be noted, that concerned a camcorder that was found in the catacombs in the early 1990s. According to the director, Francis Ferdinand, it depicted a man entering the catacombs, penetrating deep into the tunnels, and ultimately getting lost in either being chased by someone or succumbing to madness as he drops the camcorder and runs off. Sure enough, the tape is point of view of someone in the catacombs. It gives clear view of the places that the man visits, places that had drawings, markings, and even directions drawn on the walls. Additionally, there were thousands upon thousands of remains. Ferdinand is determined to find the man or find out what happened to him, and so he hires a cataphile to bring him to the location where the camera is found. He also has a documentary crew, including a sound person and a cameraman. The documentary is truly very eerie, and it is unsettling. Yet there's enough doubt about the original story and the original tape to doubt the documentary as well. Still... The journey that Ferdinand and his cameraman take is arduous and creepy itself. And if the man with the camera originally truly existed, then he captured strange sounds that only the most senior and experienced of cataphiles has heard. The catacombs have always been intriguing. The bones just made them famous. But for years after their creation as an ossuary, people would slip into the tunnels and explore and become utterly lost. Because remember... These are not roads with a destination. These are mines, and mines went where the load was, and that's it. No rhyme, no reason. Ghostly sounds and screams often have been heard and reported in the tunnels, but who's to say that they're the sounds of the dead? I mean, isn't it as likely that some intrepid explorer, tempted by the opening called the Gates of Hell, might not have learned that his or her curiosity was in fact going to prove deadly after all, just like Mother said? Some say the voices become louder at night and that they call for you to come closer and closer, leading you ever deeper into the labyrinth. Perhaps the dead do offer lament. After all, most went to their graves expecting to stay there until the Lord called them. I doubt any of them thought his or her ribcage would create a mock organ for pictures that tourists take. Not that the catacombs are by any definition intentionally disrespectful, but some might certainly take offense at the mixing of the sexes and the classes, if nothing else. There is one spirit that is both seen and heard in the catacombs. There is one spirit that is both seen and heard in the catacombs. His name is Philibert Absert. Absert was a doorman at the Val de Grasse Hospital during the French Revolution. He was tasked with locating a certain liqueur from a nearby cellar. Having only a candle to light his way in the night, and perhaps having had a 
previous bottle of liqueur. Who knows? Philibert went into the wrong opening in the ground and wound up wandering through the maze of the catacombs until finally he died. Eleven years later, his body was found, devoid of flesh, but still in his uniform and still holding the key to the hospital. He was buried where he was found, and it is said to this day that he wanders through the corridors, desperately trying to find his way out. His burial tablet tells his story, warning others to be careful where they wander. But of course, people don't often listen to tablets of dead men, or perhaps by the time they read them, it's too late. It was almost too late in the summer of 2017 when two teenagers, aged 16 and 17, snuck into the catacombs after dark. They have not shared which entry they used. No doubt they had YouTube fame in mind, but after four hours, they became hopelessly lost. It's unclear how the alarm went up to tell the authorities where they were, but it took an additional three days to find them. When they were found, they were terrified and suffering from hypothermia, and they were exceedingly lucky. People go to the catacombs. Go because they're in Paris. Go because they're weird. Go because they're built for you to see. And go because whether we like it or not, we do not know our world as well as we think. For 500 years, no one knew that beneath the city of Paris was a labyrinth of tunnels. Imagine what else awaits us and ask yourself, what surprises are we leaving behind for the future to find? Thank you for listening to Paranormal Tales from the Tower. This is Kathy Kelly. I hope you've enjoyed our time in the Paris catacombs. If you can, please head over to iTunes, like, subscribe, and review us. Every little bit helps. Share us on your social media. Follow us on social media. Visit our website, www.paranormalbooksnj.com, or check us out on Facebook at Paranormal Tales from the Tower. Until we meet again, keep your eyes, your ears, and your mind wide open.